Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We come to a text that is very, very well known today from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Uh, Who has not heard some variation of the prodigal son? Uh, Don't raise your hand. That's okay. You don't have to do that. But the thing is, is that it's a challenge. We've heard it so many times. Some of us have maybe also heard as many times the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And you start to ask yourself, how many times can, can you take this and spin it a different way to where it's something new? And people have done those things. They've, they've had different dramatizations where a guy comes in and, and he's like talking to a friend of his about how he... He uh, told his dad that he wished that he was dead, and then he goes off and lives a life of sin and lust and all sorts of passions and things like that. And then one day he's on his last dollar, and he figures, I might as well come home. And it's this whole story of the prodigal son told in a modern context, and that helps a lot. I'm not going to do that today for you, unfortunately, sorry. Uh, but the thing is, is that it helps to hear this over and over and over again because oftentimes we forget because we're sinful. We forget God's grace. We forget what it's like to be the prodigal son sometimes. I mean, it's funny to preach about the prodigal son to folks that are in church, right? Because you think to yourself, I'm I'm here. I'm not out doing crazy things. I'm not out you know, uh, at the wineries, sorry, Sean, but I'm not out there at the wineries. I'm not out there at the breweries. I'm not out, you know, doing things here in town. I'm here at church. So obviously I'm good, right? But we forget, we forget that we sometimes find ourselves coming through the door, which coming through the door of the church, not even sometimes thinking about why we really should be here. And this is the time to think about that. Why are we really here? Are we here just because it's a habit? It's a good habit, so keep it up. But the point is, is that we should remember that we are here because we need to hear God's word. We need to hear God's law and how he condemns us rightfully all for all the things that we do and all the things that we left undone. And then we hear God's gospel and saving grace through Jesus Christ. We hear these things because we need to be reminded of how sinful we really are and also about how good and gracious God really is in spite of ourselves. We look and see our text here and and we tend to focus on the sheep, the coin, the sons, but it helps to start at the very beginning of that chapter, that the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, sometimes this is taken in the wrong way, and I'll tell you what the wrong way is. The wrong way is that we hear some people say, well, Jesus hung out with prostitutes and all kinds of horrible people, so I should too, right? Well, uh, let's read a little closer. 
The tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to hear Jesus. These were people who were sinners, yes, which, by the way, so were the Pharisees and the scribes, but these were people who were self-described in that way because they drew near to hear Jesus and the saving word that he proclaimed to them because they were tired of the sin. They were tired of the life that they were living. They didn't want to be despised anymore. They were the prodigal sons who had gone out and lived according to the way that they wanted to live and found out that it was lacking tremendously. They went out and they lived prodigally, wastefully, recklessly, because they were living according to their own way and not God's. And they're tired. They're worn down. Their sin has beaten them down to the point where they have nowhere left to turn except for this man who promises grace and salvation. That's why they draw near to hear Jesus. That's a key thing. It is showing contrition, sorrow for their sin, but faith in the word that Christ proclaims. That is, that is the definition of repentance, <clears throat> turning away from your sin because you hear of how bad it really is according to God's law, but you hear how good and sweet God's grace is according to the gospel. So those are key things. But when we look at the actual parables, we see things getting more intensified in a way. That Jesus at some point is, is appealing to the Pharisees and the scribes who no doubt have some wealth. So maybe he can get to them a little bit by appealing to their possessions, right? Their sheep, their coins. That if you lose one sheep, don't you go out and try and find it? Right? Don't you risk it? Well, and if you don't, how good of a shepherd really are you? And the other thing is, is that with the coin, it's, a, it's kind of a funny thing. The sheep, it's understandable. They wander off, right? That they're not really thinking. They get distracted. They go away. I've never really tended sheep, but I hear these things, right? They're not the smartest animals, uh, which is not all that flattering for, to have us be described as sheep be honest with you. But the sheep, they wander away. There's safety in the flock. And yet for some reason, unknown to us, not that it's all that important, but unknown to us, the sheep strays and goes away. Defying logic, but it's not a very logical animal. So what do you want? And then the coin is very interesting. The lost coin is lost for inexplicable reasons even more than the sheep, right? A sheep gets distracted, it goes off, it seeks out different pasture, it, 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 it finds something else to do. A coin, like everything else that you lose, you know, that isn't alive, you wonder how in the world did that thing get lost? I can't believe I don't know where it is. It somehow got knocked off the shelf, it went through this crack. How did, and then you look and you find it and you go, I don't even remember when I was in here last, right? It's indescribable as to how this thing gets lost. And that's how sin works with us. Oftentimes, it's just indescribable as to how we were drawn away in the first place. 
Once we've come to ourselves, once we come to our senses, once God's word, once God's word shows us just how far we've strayed, we finally say, how did that even happen? It is telling, though, that it intensifies here from the sheep to the coin, these things that just get lost for no explicable reason, that just as they get lost, they can't find themselves. It's very interesting. Those who are lost, or what is lost, doesn't find itself. That the shepherd seeks out the sheep. The, 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 the woman seeks out her lost coin. And in a way, we can carry that into the prodigal son. That the son has a reason for why he leaves his father. The son has a reason. It's not a good one, but he has one. It is one possibly of greed, of youthful lust and passion, wanting to set out on his own. But in order to do that, he literally needs to tell his dad that he wishes he was dead because he gets the inheritance that's coming to him only when his father has died. So he basically tells his father to drop dead, give me the money that's owed to me, and then he gathers all that he has, in essence, to sell it off, and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in prodigal living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And then we see a shift. But when he came to himself, what happens there? What do you think happened? This young man, who up until the point when he left his father's house, was in his father's care. He knew of his father's love. He knew of the provisions that his father gave freely to him as his son. He still had his father's love following him wherever he went. He knew of these things. So that when he's at the bottom, when he's hit rock bottom, the only place he has left to turn is the only place that would possibly, maybe, still provide the love and the grace that he so desperately needs. His father's love pursues him throughout this. So that when he is at the bottom, as a Jew feeding pigs, the unclean animals, defiling himself, possibly, by just being in their presence, right? He says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Oof. So close to being such a good confession, right? Basically saying, I'm going to go back to my dad. And I'm going to say, you know, um, sorry for everything. I have sinned for, I've, I've sinned in what I have done. Now, let me, let me work for it. Let me earn your forgiveness. 
But thanks be to God that we see that when he rose and came to his father, he was still a long way off, and his father saw him, and he felt compassion. I've said this word before to y'all. I know you don't remember it, but I'll say it again. In Greek, it's, it's splognitsamai. I love that word because it sounds so harsh, doesn't it? Splognitsamai literally means to have compassion. But even more literally, it means your insides are turning upside down and coming out because you feel so bad for somebody. That's what that means. Splognitsamai. This father feels compassion and runs and embraces, literally hugs his son's neck and kisses him. And the son says, Father, I have, he, he says the rehearsed lines, right? We kids, when we've done something bad with mom and dad, we, we kind of plan out what we're going to say, right? But he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then all of a sudden, before he can get to the part about how he wants to work for his, his grace, the father stops him by saying to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate it for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now I go back to that word compassion, splagnitsamai. The only person in the New Testament that ever has that sort of feeling outside of the parables is Jesus Christ himself. He is the only one. I don't think that's a coincidence, y'all. I think that is the Holy Spirit telling us that here in this parable, the Father represents God in his fullness, right? The Father feels compassion for people when they don't deserve it. He sends his Son to act out that compassion by dying, for people that don't deserve it. And the Holy Spirit continues to have compassion upon us by preaching the word, sending pastors to preach to you, sending friends who are Christians to preach the word of God to you when you need to hear the law and turn away from your sin, and when you need to hear the gospel because you're so crushed by your sin, you don't know what to do anymore. God has compassion. God sends people. He sends his word. He sends his son to die for you and does all that is necessary for your salvation and cuts you off right at the right point when you want to say, treat me as one of your hired servants so I can earn your grace. God says, no, that's not how things work. For I am your father, right? God when he talks to us, he talks in a familial way. That where Jesus started with lost sheep and lost coins, maybe he can appeal to a familial sense. That fathers love their sons, love their children. God the Father loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. That St. Paul even says that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, right? That we are those tax collectors and the sinners 
who draw near to hear what Jesus has to say. Lest we be like the older brother, we should remind ourselves or we should be reminded by the word of God that we are more often than not the the younger brother, lest we become the older son who's out in the field, hears of what's going on, and instead of rejoicing that a, a brother or sister in Christ has turned away from their sin. Instead, we are rubbed the wrong way. Think to ourselves, who do they think they are? After what they did? How dare they come back in here and think that everything's just going to be okay? Because when it comes down to it, this message is not necessarily for the prodigal sons. This parable is not necessarily for those lost sheep or the lost coin, those who are brought back and are having a great feast because it's such a good thing that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who turns from their sin. This message is really primarily for the older brothers, the older sons, who don't see themselves as lost. So you have to ask yourself, in this parable of the prodigal son, who's really lost in the end? Who really needs to be brought back into the fold? Who really needs to hear the word of God in its fullness? The younger brother was rightfully convicted, rightfully turned from his sin, rightfully came back to his father and asked for, for grace. But then the older son, he hears of these things, and all he can do is complain. All he can do when his father comes out to entreat him, right? To talk to him and say, come and celebrate, because this is a great thing that happens. All he can say is, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. First of all, the older brother is exactly in the same place where the younger one wanted to be, thinking that he could earn his father's grace, thinking that he could earn his favor from all the years where he doesn't Disobey, which is kind of an exaggeration, right? We all disobey in some way or form or fashion. And then he says, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Not my family, my friends. I mean, he's just heaping things upon himself more and more the more he tries to self-justify. And it gets even worse when he says, when this son of yours, not my brother, but the son of yours, basically saying, that he is separating himself from his own father, came and devoured your property with prostitutes. First of all, how does he even know? Heaping slander upon his brother, you killed the fattened calf for him. So it's interesting. Look at how the father responds. When, When the younger son comes, the father is overjoyed. He doesn't just shrug it off and say, oh, yeah, good to see you, now get to work. 
He's overjoyed. And still with his son that is obstinate about the younger brother. He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours, including your brother, including the fattened calf that I killed for him, including this feast that I have set for him to celebrate his coming back. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I use that term very deliberately. Brothers and sisters in Christ of our Father who is in heaven, let us gather at the table of our Lord. Let us be given the feast that is set before you, the body and blood of Christ, for your forgiveness. Because at the table, you are family. To be fed by his hand, means that you have found favor in his sight. When you come to this table, you don't offer your services. You don't say, what can I do to deserve this good thing? Because all that God asks of you is that you bring your sin and you lay it at his feet. You confess your sin and he absolves you of it. And to seal it even more, he reminds you of the robe, the best robe, that he clothes you with in holy baptism. And he kills the sacrifice, his son, so that his body and blood may strengthen you in your faith, may remind you of what he has done for you, may feed you and sustain you so that you may go to your, your brothers and and your sisters who are not here, who are not at the feast, so that they might partake of it someday, so that they might know the good grace of God, so that they might taste and see that the Lord is truly good. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.